Cornucopia Radio presents 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 Welcome along to the Cornucopia Radio Show podcast free by three special I guess you could call what follows three stories about life love and everlasting desire for change Yes, I, I guess, guess you could call them that. But, but you'd be wrong. So let's, so let's just call them three stories, period. So if that's the case, then this first sound you will hear will be called falling. And by all accounts, it's going to be read by Tim Rutherford. A reserve, a backup, a failsafe. I'm confident I know what these words mean. They're there to save your ass when plan A goes out of the window. So as I pull on the reserve chute again and again, I'm understandably a little upset. In fact, I can't help but think that a reserve parachute that doesn't open hasn't really grasped the concept of the name it's chosen for itself. In vain, I give the chute one last tug for old time's sake, the nostalgic feeling of disappointment that follows his brief, but familiar. Okay, time to take stock of the situation. My main parachute hasn't opened correctly and has instead decided, in a rather drastic change of purpose, to try and strangle me. After jettisoning my neck-friendly foe, I then choose to have a quick argument with my reserve chute about dictionary definitions, and finally, after running out of better options, started falling towards the ground at 120 miles per hour. I think that was a fly I've just swallowed. I look around for help, hoping that one of the other jumpers will notice that I'm trying the rather difficult sand support method of skydiving. I eventually tilt my head upwards and see what looks like five perfectly opened and undeniably smug parachutes attached to what are probably five relieved jumpers. I also briefly catch a glimpse of a seagull, giving me a look which seems to suggest, don't look at me for help, mate. You belong up here as much as I belong down there driving the number 72 to Finchley. I begrudgingly conceded that he has a point. My mind rattles off the numerous possibilities that might occur over the next few minutes, the majority of which seem to end with my good self making a Rorschach ink blot somewhere on the ground beneath, a ground which appears far too eager to help for my liking. So at this point, with nobody else to blame, I arrive at the decision that this has all been Sir Isaac Newton's fault. I briefly consider flapping my arms like a bird, hoping that humans somehow have an innate ability to fly which we've never truly exploited. However, I'm pretty sure that damn seagull is still around here somewhere, and I can already imagine his sanctimonious sneer in regard to this thought. So thinking better of it, I wisely decide to avoid any embarrassing attempts at sky-based ambulation. Instead, I refocus my attention back on gravity. What if Newton and Einstein were wrong? What if gravity wasn't a universal scientific law between two bodies of mass? What if gravity was just a simple belief system that only existed because we believed in it? Or at the very least, refused to disbelieve in it enough to make any difference? I concur to myself that a thorough debate on the various postulations about the nature of epistemology is normally best conducted on the ground, and not on a direct collision course with a barren stretch of land. 
but I quickly realise that I have precious few options left. Gravity is something I've always taken for granted. It was always there, literally keeping my feet on the ground. So attempting to reclassify it as a belief, a belief I was about to deny, wouldn't be easy. But in the next few minutes, I knew that my life depended on it. It takes a few moments, but before long, the reasoning starts to crystallise in my mind. The apple only drops from the tree because I expect it to. Gravity only exists because I can't think of anything better to replace There is no up and down. All directions are undetermined. Why does the waterfall fall? People in Australia should fall into the sky. The cat should never come down. I should be able to throw rocks at the moon. Planets only orbit the sun because they are unimaginative. I never dropped that heavy plate on my foot. My foot never broke. The plate never dropped. I'm not going to die. Gravity isn't real. It's all made up. Gravity isn't real. Gravity isn't real. Gravity isn't... My eyes remain tightly closed. The wind has stopped. Everything remains still. I should be dead. Maybe I am. Is this it? Is this what death feels like? It isn't what I was expecting. I thought it would be... grander. I slowly open my eyes. The ground fills my vision as I find myself hovering slowly and gently above the earth, in much the same way a brick would if it could, looking around. I realise I'm probably no more than a metre from the surface. I gently regain my balance and composure, take a deep breath and step down from my hovering position, planting both feet firmly onto the surface. I slowly look around my surroundings, Somehow, it had worked. I had jumped from a plane without a working parachute and using nothing more than a simple denial of the laws of nature. I had survived. The power of denial felt good. I started wondering what else I could refuse to believe in. Perhaps you don't drown in water. Maybe eating glass won't shred your insides. And who said that nature abhors a vacuum? For all we know, they might be the best of friends. However, as I stand there, triumphantly contemplating my next bold move of disbelief, I fail to notice myself starting to float away from the ground. In fact, it takes me a good few minutes before I snap out of my mental victory lab and realise what's happening. At this point, I'm already 15 feet in the air and I'm picking up speed fast. I start madly flailing my arms around as I keep falling higher and higher into the sky. My ultimate destination, suffocation at the edge of space. I begin to consider how I might have overdone the whole disbelieving thing. Once again I was going to have to come up with a whole new plan. And fast. I believe in gravity. I believe in gravity. I believe in gravity. I believe in gravity. Radio, radio Show podcast, podcast. Free, free by, by three, three special. special. We've, We've travelled a long way to be with you here today. 
Yes, yes we, we might not have made it all in one piece. And yes, the chances are you'll meet some far better prepared individuals before the day is out. But we're sincere. And at this precise moment, we wouldn't want to be anywhere else. So by that definition, the next sound you'll hear we've decided to call Poetry Technical Support Line. And it will be performed by Ian Chandler. Well, here we go. Another day, another minimum wage paycheck. I hate this job. I really do. I despise it with a passion you can't understand. Come on, man. Just get some respect. Just quit. Just get up and leave. No one cares. Do something more constructive with your life. Go and build a well in Africa or something. Yeah, or alternatively, just sit here and answer the phone all day like a mindless robot slave. It's your choice. Your move. Hello, thank you for calling the Poetry Technical Support Line. How may I help? Hmm, okay. So your poem's crashed in the second stanza. It's not responding at all and it won't let you start a new line. Okay. Are you in front of your poem at the moment? And which system are you using? Pen and paper. Okay. Just read back the last line before you crashed. Okay, there's your problem. That metaphor and that simile are no longer compatible. Well, you could try a more up-to-date metaphor, as long as it's not mixed, because they always tend to crash. Well, I'd recommend some alliteration. should be more than compatible with your system. In fact, you may even see a performance increase in your meter and rhythm. Of course, yes, I'll wait on the phone while you try and fix it. Oh, so that's fixed it, has it? Oh, that's great. Yep, no problem at all. Uh, That's what I'm here for. Any other problems, just ring straight back. Okay, you have a great day as well. So it begins. Just another nine hours of this to go. Hello, thank you for calling the Poetry Technical Support Line. How may I help? Okay, well, slow down. So you're saying all your poems have stopped rhyming? You are aware that all poems don't have to rhyme? No, no, that's that's okay. Um, We're probably going to have to reinstall your rhyming system to fix this. Do you have your original rhyming dictionary to hand? And are you in front of your poem at the moment? Ah, if you're not in front of your poem, this might be a bit tricky. You see, I won't be able to understand the aesthetic or evocative devices of your poetry, and I might end up accidentally uninstalling the assonance of your content. Yes, yes, that's probably for the best. Yes, we are a 24-hour hotline, so when you ring back, I'm sure we'll be able to help better. Okay. Sorry I couldn't help you anymore, but like I said, it's for the best. All right. Bye-bye. Great. How can I help you when you haven't got your poem in front of you, you muppet? Hello, thank you for calling the Poetry Technical Support Line. How may I help? Well, good morning to you too, sir. Now, how can I help? Okay, you're having haiku problems. No, 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 I'm just a bit surprised because the haiku's normally a pretty stable system to work with. What exactly is happening? Oh, you're right, that does sound very serious. As you know, sir, the haiku normally has a strict 57577 structure. And what you're telling me is that all your haikus are being written in a 94988 format? No, no, I've not heard of that before. It sounds like your whole haiku system is corrupt. 
How long has this been going on for? That long? Oh, oh yes, I'm sure it has been an irritation. I'm not sure if I could have lasted this long without a working haiku either. Are you in front of your haiku at the moment? And it's a pen and paper system, is that correct? Right, okay, well, I think we'll try and reset everything. If you look at the top of the pen, you should see a little button. That's it. Now I need you to hold the button down for about three seconds and then release. Okay, now press and hold it down for another three seconds. Okay, now try writing the haiku again on the page. It's still doing it, is it? Okay, let's try resetting the paper. Do you see the edge of the paper you're using? If you follow that edge along, eventually the direction will change. Now that's what we call a corner. Now if you grab two corners and flip the paper over, it should now be blank. That's alright, calm down, don't worry, you haven't lost what you've written. Each piece of paper always has two savable slots. If you grab the corners again, flip it back. Yeah, can you see? Yeah, it's still there. That's right, okay. Flip the paper back onto the blank side. And try writing the haiku. It's still doing it. Oh, okay, um... I'm sorry, I don't think... I don't think of what else we can do here. It sounds more like a hardware problem. Get in touch with the people you bought the pen from. Maybe it just isn't compatible with a haiku. Yeah, that's right. Just take it back to the manufacturer and explain it's having a problem with haikus. Okay, that's fine. Sorry, I couldn't be of any more help. Thanks for calling. Bye. Huh, that's a new one on me. I wonder if I can take an early toilet break yet. No, you're still looking in the third stanza. We need to be in the fourth stanza. No, madam, madam, you're still in the second stanza. Look, look below that. Below it. You're going to have to use some onomatopoeia instead, sir. Onomatopoeia. Onomatopoeia. O-N-O-M. Okay, okay, here's a thought. Do you have a son or a daughter who knows how to write a poem? Maybe it'd be better if I spoke to them. And so what's your rhyming poem called, sir? Okay, it's called Silver Orange. Ugh. No, 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 I'm still here. Seriously, four years at university for this. Hello, thank you for calling the poetry support line. How may I help? Okay. Mm, okay, I don't quite understand that. Are you sure this is a poem? I appreciate it stopped working and you can't write any further. I just need to work out the type of poem before I can go any further. Okay, just repeat that last line again, sir. There was a young man from Paris. Mm, yeah. Whose penis was shaped like a bunch of flowers. Okay. Right. I think what you've got there, sir, it's a limerick. And I have to be honest, sir, it's not a very good one at that. I'm afraid we don't support limericks on this phone line. We only support poems, sonnets, haikus, odes, and the Chinese jintishi. No. No, I wouldn't be able to help even if I could, sir. I've never had any limerick training. You probably know more about it than I do. No, no, the two things are very different things, sir. 
Most poetry can be quite free-flowing and without rules, while a limerick often has a much tighter rhyming form, often using humorous intent. Uh, please lower your voice, sir. Yeah, if you spoke to my line manager, he would only tell you the same thing. Like I said, sir, anything I did would be pure guesswork. Sir, please don't use that kind of grammatical structure over the phone line towards me, sir, or I will be forced to hang up. Hello? 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 <laughs> He's hung up, and the guy hung up. Idiot. Look, are you lot going to be alright for a while? I think I need to take my break early this morning. I don't care. Tell the boss what you like. Oh, and if I don't come back, it's because I've thrown myself under a number 10 bus. I don't even like poetry. Fluid is then set in motion, and the vibrations are picked up by special sensory cells known as hair cells, which send electrical signals via the hearing nerve straight to your brain. You see, this is how you'll be able to hear our next story, the MacGuffin. And you know it will be read by Dina Lees, because you'll hear me telling you that very same information. I was trying to think the other day about how old I must have been when I first heard about it. It's odd. Something like that, you think, would be pretty much surred into my very cortex. But no. I guess... I was maybe seven or eight. I do recall a friend at school saying her uncle had bought one and she'd seen it herself. Of course, we all know how kids lie. And looking back now, I suspect at that age, she wouldn't have recognised one if it had been sat right next to her. But I was young and I always believed everything anybody ever told me. You see... As a child, you begin to realise that there are lots of things that grown-ups have to do, that you don't. And one day, perhaps, when you're taller, older, and sadly a bit fatter, things will change. As a kid, it made perfect sense, as almost all things do for kids. Then, of course, as you enter your teens, you begin to question things more. You want to know the why as much as the how. I remember it seeming odd that everybody talked about this thing, yet nobody could ever tell me what it looked like. People were always vague when they talked about it, never really making it clear, 
if they did actually own it, or once had it, or secretly longed for it. However, it quickly became clear to me that if anybody did have it, well, they were keeping it very secret. I had always assumed that it was something you had to buy. After all, how else could you get it? But the stories I have heard or read seem to suggest that some people had been given it. Some people had simply found it. But most worryingly of all, some people had stolen it. Once I knew this, I of course realised why everybody was always so mysterious as to whether they had it or not. Or to admit you have it, or to show it to other people, was almost like asking somebody to take it away from you. As I left my teenage years and strode into adulthood, I found myself living in a world obsessed by it. This despite the fact that its image had never been worse. After all, as an object, it's often faulty and looks out of place no matter where you keep it. As a service, it's frequently slow and rarely up to the task at hand. And as a concept, well, perhaps its time has simply passed. Still, maybe I'm wrong. Many will tell you it's the greatest thing humanity has ever held in its grasp. It saves many more lives than it kills. It's brought so many together who would otherwise be alone. And the amazing advances in production means it is now small enough to hold in the palm of your hand. But ultimately, I guess I'm still none more the wiser than my eight-year-old friend was all those years ago. I'm not even sure if I've ever really wanted it. Was it just the fact that everybody else had it? I don't have it, just in case any of you are thinking that. I've never been able to save up enough money. I just don't know the right people. And a life of crime seems, well, too much like hard work. I suspect somebody listening right now could have one. You strike me as the type of people that might. Although, that's not a criticism. You are who you are. I can hardly judge, can I? Maybe this is just what I want you to think. If I did have one, or wouldn't this be the perfect way to hide it from you? Talking on the radio like this, as if I had no clue or desire. Maybe it sat next to me right now. Maybe... Whether you think I have it or not, whether anybody really has it, or whether something you've never seen can ever truly exist, 
just try to keep in mind there are millions of things you could have. So why limit yourself to just one? I guess ultimately you've just got to learn to think for yourself and not follow a MacGuffin. This, this was the Cornucopia Radio Show Free by Free Special. More information can be found online at www.cornucopia-radio.co.uk. Sketches copyright 2009 to Cornucopia Radio.